you want to stay more focused on the right goals in your life or even just figure out what the right goals are for you? Do you want clarity? Do you want better work-life balance? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to Success Through Failure. Welcome to the Success Through Failure podcast, the show that reveals failure as your path to success. You'll listen to intriguing interviews with some of the most successful people on the planet and learn how their failures became a launchpad for success and how yours can too. Here's your host, former Division I All-American wrestler, former Division I head coach, speaker, and personal coach, Jim Harshaw. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. Today, I bring you Josh Spodek. When I was a Division I All-American athlete, I was hyper-focused and I was able to take consistent action that allowed me to be one of the best in the country at what I did. Well, for years after I was done competing, I just struggled to stay focused on my goals day in and day out. I was easily distracted, so I wasn't able to stay consistent, the kind of consistency that you need to have to achieve goals that are meaningful to you. It was discouraging for me. I felt like I was just slipping kind of into mediocrity. Then after interviewing some of the highest performers in the world, Olympians, CEOs, billionaires, best-selling authors, I discovered how they do it. I discovered 18 powerful and sometimes weird tactics that they use to stay focused at work, focused on the right things while also living a balanced life. And if you start using probably just three of these today, you're going to get more done in the next eight hours. I promise. This is not tomorrow, not next week. These will work today. I guarantee it. It's like magic, but they're real world solutions to it. People like you and me want the ability to stay focused, avoid distraction, and be consistent. I use at least four of them every day and have used all of them at some point. And now I'm able to work and get probably 50 to 100% more done each day. I'm more present when I'm home with my wife and four kids. And the result is I have a stronger relationship with my family. And I'm still able to achieve incredible goals like being selected to give a TEDx talk at one of the biggest TED events in the world, like launching a podcast and talking to A-list guests and running a half marathon, all of this while having a full-time job that includes frequent travel, working nights and weekends and all that good stuff. So you're going to find solutions on this list that are going to surprise you. Grab your copy of the 18 tactics to staying focused at work. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash focus. That's jimharshawjr.com slash focus. Josh is a PhD, MBA, TEDx speaker. He wrote the number one best-selling book, Leadership Step-by-Step. He hosts the award-winning podcast, Leadership in the Environment. He's a professor at NYU. He writes a column for Inc., and he blogs daily at joshuaspodek.com. And of course, I'll have the link in the action plan. Uh, he holds five Ivy League degrees. Yes, five, including a PhD in astrophysics and an MBA from Columbia, where he studied under a Nobel laureate. He teaches and coaches leadership and entrepreneurship at NYU and Columbia Business Schools. He's also spoken at Harvard, Princeton, West Point, MIT, and other recognizable businesses and schools. Josh has appeared on every major network. He's been in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and uh, many, many more. And he's been called the best and brightest in Esquire's genius issue. He's also visited North Korea and he swam across the Hudson River twice. I'm sorry, he's he's visited North Korea twice and swam across the Hudson River. Uh, And he's done burpees daily, daily since 2011. So 130,000 and counting. And for those of you who are listening who are Pathfinders, so clients of mine, you know Josh as the inventor of the Sidcha. And uh, I just love talking with Josh so much. He's one of the guests who I've really built a a relationship with offline. Uh, He was also a guest. So if you're a longtime listener, you know Josh was a guest on episode 58 and again on 89. And here we go again. We've got Josh Spodek. Now, if you want to, if you don't have time to listen to our episode, or if you you just want to grab the action plan, you can do that by going to jimharshawjr.com slash action. Enough of that. Josh, welcome back. Great to be here. You know, the whole time you're talking about all that stuff, I, was, I wanted to say at the end, and you left out the best part of our friendship. And then you got that at the end too. I was like, yeah. wow, this is really thorough. Yeah, man. It's, um, 
you know, you're, you're just, uh, you're one of those folks who I've really enjoyed connecting with over the last couple of years. And uh, we actually, I, I don't get to meet most of my podcast guests, unfortunately, but you and I got to connect uh, when you were down in Charlottesville uh, a year or so ago. And uh, hopefully we'll get to connect one up in, uh, up in your neck of the woods up in New York one of these times. So, uh, so you've been busy, man. Yeah. And, you know, I'm going to start off by saying I ripped you off the other day I was, uh, with a coaching client and I was telling him that imagine you could do this thing that you couldn't do. What would you do to make that? You know, how could that happen? And he solved it. And I was like, that's harsh off. Isn't that a great question? <laughs> yes. It, it and, just opens yeah. up your mind, right? So, yeah, I've been really busy with, uh, I mean, two weeks ago, I gave my first TEDx talk and then uh, on environmental leadership. And it was a big challenge because it was, you know, it was a message that was came from my podcast, which is a one-on-one interactive affair. And a TEDx talk is a one-to-many non-interactive affair. And so it was a really hard shift to make. And I couldn't, here's the big thing, I couldn't practice it. I couldn't get a couple hundred people in a room to practice it in the two weeks that I had available. So the, the only time I could see if it would work one-on-one or sorry, one to many was actual actually there. And you know, one thing I know about performance is rehearse, 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 and rehearse as much as I could. And it came off pretty well. I, I'll wait. I have to wait a couple months to see the edited version. And then on the and then there's the book that's coming out in a month. So and, what was the what was the name of the podcast? Or the uh, the TED what, did, what was the title of your TEDx talk? Actually, well, it was leadership in the environment. But I'm not sure if that name will stick. So if you're going to look on online for it, it may be different. I'm not sure. That's some of that's out of my hand. So for the listeners, uh, we're recording this in late April 2019. So if you're, you know, probably a month or two months after that, you can probably just Google Josh Spodek, S P O D E K, and TEDx, and you'll find them. So I'm pretty sure I'll put it on the blog. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be on the blog there too. So cool. Well, I look forward to to watching that. And you've been doing some writing. Yeah. So the book has been, I mean, it's kind of funny because it's well over a decade that I've been developing the course on which the book is based and then teaching the course. But the book, I guess it's a little over a year in the writing and making, and it comes out in a month on May 21st. And it's, it's, I don't know where to begin. It's, you know, so many people who want to start a project that could be, an entrepreneurial project, it could be a hobby, it could be something to get them more responsibilities and a promotion at work. So many people, when I ask them, if they haven't started, why haven't they started, say, I don't have a great idea. And yet, if I talk to people who have great projects that they love, and I say, is the idea that you're doing now the same one you started with? It's never yet. Right. It's always iterated and so forth. Yeah. And that told me that the, and by the way, in my personal life, you mentioned all these Ivy League degrees. But what I'm doing now is not PhD in physics stuff. It was leaving, you know, I still love physics. And I'm always going to love physics. But I really want, I, academia wasn't the right place for me. And entrepreneurship is what got me out of that. But I made so many mistakes. And I, I, I was still beholden to this idea of the idea first. And so I want to, and a very important thing to me is to bring to the world the ability to start projects. And yet, this belief that holds people back that I need a great idea, that I need a team is not at all what works for people who get things to start. And yet, when I look at all the resources out there, they generally start with what's your idea, what's your team? And so a lot of resources create a barrier for the people that they want to help. Now, if you have an idea and a team, the resources out there are phenomenal. And I think if you're, that tends to be people who are out in Silicon Valley, if you're an engineer or tinkerer or maker or you do research, then people often come up with ideas. You know, if you're an engineer and you make apps, every now and then one of them will take off. And existing resources are perfect for people like that. But I looked it up in, in the United States, about 6% of jobs are STEM jobs. And using that as a rough indicator for people who are makers and tinkerers and researchers, it's something, you know, at most maybe 10%. The other 90% of us, aren't the types who come up with those things and those barriers don't help us. So I wanted to re- I wanted to create a resource that as far as I could tell was not out there to help people who know that once they got something out there, they would love it. But 
they don't yet have an idea and team and therefore haven't yet reached the starting line for these other places. As it turns out, this often will, my stuff will often get me to the finish line as well. Yeah, they say the start, it's the start that stops most people, right? And I, I love the timing of this. I feel like this has happened to me several times before on the podcast where the timing of a podcast that I record, a solo podcast, kind of meshes with uh, an interview that I do. So I just recorded a solo episode for the listener. It's episode 193 on the topic of complacency. Complacency. And so these are somewhat related topics because the name of Josh's new book is Initiative, A Proven Method to Bring Your Passions to Life. So that's what we're talking about here. Now, so Josh, what you're saying essentially is is just that, is that it's the start that stops most people. Is that right? Yeah. And I'm glad that you said the title because I took pains not to put the word entrepreneurship in the title. It's what I think initiative is more general than entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship being one way that you can take initiative. Sure. It's the for-profit way. And I, I love it. I've done it. And I will continue to do it. My podcast is not a for-profit thing. And I love that. And there's a lot of people who they come to me for coaching or take my class. And actually, the first, the opening one in the book, a story that I gave is someone came to me, he wanted to, he was like, I can't stand my company. I keep coming up with ideas. They never, they never give me the projects. I have to leave. I never want to work for someone again. And a little while later, after doing the exercises, then he was able to form relationships with the people that they gave him projects. Like he didn't want to rent an office and find out how to get benefits packages for employees. He wanted ownership, responsibility, and the ability to act on the things he wanted to do. And those skills, I don't think he ever would have gone to Lean or any of the other courses that are out there, and they wouldn't have helped him. In fact, they might have made a barrier for him or made it, you know, he would have had to jump ship completely. Instead, develop the project and, and involves the other people in a way that they supported him, and they gave him resources, they gave him responsibility, and he had ownership, not stock ownership, but, you know, ownership of a project. And that's what he wanted. And, you know, eventually later, on good terms, he went off and did his own thing too. So it was the same skills that got him. He didn't get a raise, but he actually worked fewer hours. So he got to do a project they loved, went home early every day, and eventually used those same skills to start a new project later. So you're saying it's possible that for the listeners who feel like they are stuck, maybe they're in a rut, maybe they don't love their job, uh, maybe they at one point did love their job or, 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 or whatever the case might be, but they're just not satisfied with, with where they're at. Um, maybe, maybe what needs to happen is not they have to quit their job and, and completely burn the ships. There's, there's another option here. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And it's I, I, the one thing I would take out of that is maybe. Sure. Right. I, mean, I guess you can hope for the best and hope that you get a manager who's going to do stuff for you or, or you stumble on something that will be a great project. But most of the time, these things come from you developing these things yourself. And if the, if the same beholdenness to an idea that holds people back is also, sorry, the, the, if getting over that myth is what helps people, then it tells me that that's not, focusing on the idea is not the thing. It's focusing on developing your social and emotional skills to develop the idea and develop the relationships. The idea itself, I think of as the, that's like more the external manifestation of your skill. So for the listener, Josh mentioned exercises, and we are going to get to that because that's one of the things that people tell me they love about my podcast is we take the theoretical and we, we put it into like sort of practical next steps. So, so we will steal an exercise or two from Josh <laughs> that he talked about in the book. But before we get to that, Josh, t- talk more about that. So I think I feel like a lot of people have an idea, right? They have an idea of maybe it's an idea of how to make the, what the way of their their job should be, or maybe they have an idea for a business, or maybe they have an idea of something that they just want to do in their community, right? And that's usually where it stops. How do you how do you how do you take it to the next step? How do you make it a reality? Because a lot of people are saying, "Well, I, I would love to do that, but I've got you know." I'm already busy. I've already got too much on my plate. I don't have time. I don't have the money. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, right? How do you move forward from this idea? Yeah, first of all, it's very common. I mean, that's hardly rare at all. And I think a lot of people feel that way. And there's a couple of things. The first is that I, I want to differentiate between passing fancies 
which you know people think maybe I should work on this, maybe it'll pay off, maybe it'll be something great, I don't know, and things that are really big life passion. Mm, yeah. And a lot of people are afraid of acting on something because maybe it's passing fancy, or maybe, you know, here, I'm going to tell you the same problem in two different ways. One of them is I have no ideas to start with, and the other is I have so many ideas, I'm not sure which one to start with. They yeah. sound very different, but they're both manifestations of not knowing your values and what's important to you and not knowing how to act on it. And developing the skills to do to act on it is the way to get out of there. Now, a lot of people think, say that I have three things that I might want to do, and I'm not sure which one it is. I could put it in the language of, of having no idea. Maybe the, the same way of putting it is I have something that maybe it's worth doing, but I'm not really quite sure. But I'll use it, I'll use it in the language of someone who's got too many ideas. A lot of people think, uh, project A, project B, project C, which one should I work on? And by the way, this happened to me, you know, and I see this in my students all the time. And so they think, well, I used to think, if I pick A, what if it's really B? Am I going to wake up married to someone and have kids and a mortgage and realize that I got married to the wrong idea? Now, with people and marriage, you can't get out of it. Once you have a kid, that you know, you, that's very difficult to get out of. But with ideas that you work on, you can switch easily. And a lot of people they have this idea, if I get stuck in A, I'll never get to B. On the contrary, if A's not the big one, and B, well, first of all, if A turns out to be the big one, great, you got lucky on the first try. If B turns out to be the one that you really love, the fastest, most effective way to reach B is to do A. Yeah. Yeah. A will lose its luster, but B never will. Yeah. And you will not look at the time you spent with A with regret. On the contrary, You'll look at the time you spent on A with gratitude. You'll be, oh my God, I'm so glad I did A, get that out of the way because it's occupying my mind. Now I can do B without reservation. And, and only A could have gotten me there. And most of the time you will learn things doing A that will improve your chances of success with B. And, and sometimes even A morphs into B, right? Yeah. Or somewhere I mean, in you, or you end up in somewhere in between A and B with something that's even better. Yeah, I did physics, and when I did physics, it was the love of my life. And then I didn't do it for a long, long time. So that was maybe my A. It reached the limit, and I just couldn't do it anymore. But now that I'm the Leadership in the Environment podcast, it's back in again. All that science is, it, it's still such a part of me that it's, it's, it's returned. And if, but if A doesn't pan out and you really just can't stand it, you're going to be so glad you did it and got rid of it. And then B might lead to C, and C might lead to D. And that's, that's been the case for me because I went from physics to entrepreneurship and then entrepreneurship didn't pan out. Then I started teaching entrepreneurship and now I'm practicing it again, practicing leadership. And is a, those are my A, B, C, and D. And pedagogically speaking, I discovered this in my class with, you know, with hundreds and hundreds of students that so many of them would switch projects and I kept seeing how much they liked the second one more than the first one. And I thought, I spent a long time trying to figure out how can I help them pick the best one first, realizing there's certain trends that you see of why they pick the first one. Oftentimes, they, they're doing what they think their friends will like or something that's in the media, you know, oh, I'll do a blockchain app or, you know, or something that the parents want them to do or something that they think will make them the most money. Well, those things are, that might be all the reasons someone needs, but oftentimes the reasons that are more close to their heart they, they hide because it makes them vulnerable to share. If, they, if I judge you based on something that you did was kind of academic, but you didn't really care about it, you're like, oh, well, so what? It didn't work, but I don't really care about it. But if it's something you really care about, then they feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't share that because if I fail, I'll look bad or something like that, or people laugh at me for picking something that they wouldn't do. Maybe they think it's not worth it. When you have an expectation of success, which comes from working on one, whether it works or not, you develop those skills, as you mentioned. Then you're more comfortable and confident picking something because you don't think it's going to fail. You think it's going to succeed. And I realized it was a mistake to try to help them overcome. It's, even if I got them to pick the right one, pick something that they really love, that would deprive them of developing the skill to find it out for themselves. And that's a much more valuable skill. And only after seeing people switch many times and see the, that, that effect of them looking back with gratitude at what they left, then I realized this, it's not a waste of time at all. On the contrary, 
if they do it's 10 exercises. So when I teach it in the university, it's one, one week per exercise. And sometimes they'll switch in week eight. They'll switch from A to B. And they're caught up by week nine. Yeah. What took them a week to do the first time because they're so freaked out about calling someone in the field. And after they do it, they're like, two things. One, they've already done it. And they, they don't feel this fear of talking to someone. They've heard their classmates share their experiences. And in the book, you know, I give all these examples of people. Of, of, I give stories of people who have done these exercises. So you're not in it by yourself. They're like, I've got to get this thing done. I love this project. And they're doing it for themselves now. This internal motivation is much greater. Like, I gotta get this done. I know how to call them. I'll just, I'll just call them all ten really quick. Whereas before, it took them like if they had seven days to do it, they'll take five days to make the first call, and then another day to make the second call. But the the next time through, they just call. Yeah. So you overcome the fear. Yeah. Or you you reframe it as if you're doing something that you don't really care about. Calling someone is kind of a burden when you're doing yeah. it because you, and and look, frankly. A lot of people, when they do this book the first time, it will be a big challenge to make those first couple calls. That's why I start with talking to people who are close to you, friends and family. You work your way up. There's a lot in here that's scaffolding. It gets you started with the little things. Eventually, you make, up, make your way to the big things. A lot of people, when you do these, when you, when you do it the first time, you feel like, oh, this is going to be really scary. What if they laugh at me? What if they don't take my call? And then when you switch and you are doing a project that is more dear to you, more meaningful to you, you don't think of it as like, oh, I got to do this thing. You're like, I can't wait. Like, I, have, I have a problem. This person yeah. has an answer. I want to call them up. And I also give you scripts so that you don't, if, I mean, you can do it on your own if you have a relationship with someone and, or you, you like your own, you have your own style. But I give you a script so that people who haven't done it, this script works. And so you can follow it and eventually make it your own. I give a story of, Joanne, this one student, and she, I mean, at NYU, there's a lot of non-native English speakers. She's not an American citizen. And she had to call someone up. A, um, it was a producer of a Broadway show. And she calls up. She said, I don't know how to reach this person. Unless, you know, this person's number is not listed. And she calls up the front office where you buy tickets. And some ticket person picks up, you know, probably some intern or something. And she says, well, I'm looking for so-and-so. And the person's like, ah, whatever. Uh, hold on. And she's like, oh, man, whatever. She's not happy. And then the phone picks up and goes, hello. And she goes, yeah, I'm looking for so-and-so. And he goes, yes, yes, what would you like? And it's him. <laughs> and she's totally freaked out. She's like, what I say, what I do. But by that point, she's done many calls before to friends and family and so forth. And she just goes into what she's done many times before because she's practiced, she's rehearsed. Yeah, she's prepared. She's prepared and he answers her question. And so at the end, he's like, fine, bye. And she doesn't have an ongoing relationship with the guy, but she can honestly say for the rest of her time that this person contributed to the project and she consulted with him and he really, she really did improve the project based on her talking to him. And when she told the story in class, Everyone in class was sitting there like, you know, kids not really that into it. And then when she said that it was him, everyone, and he was like angry at her, everyone like perked up and they're like, what happened? And she tells a story. And as she tells the story, everyone's like, I want that to happen. And that changed everything. It began a race to the top in that particular class because everyone wanted to have an experience like that. Once, once she realized, she didn't lose anything in this interaction. and. Things like that, you know, it gives you gumption to do it in the future because once she did that, everyone knew I can do that too. And they wanted to do that. And hopefully people will get that experience. That's what the stories are for. Yeah. And so the book has stories and it has exercises. This is a workbook for the listeners, just like leadership step-by-step. It's a workbook. There are action items and action steps. If you like the action items in my podcast, then there are action items in this book and you're going to love them. So Josh, can we can we steal one of those exercises? Maybe your top one, or maybe two exercises that you recommend that the listener can can take on their own. Yeah, I'll also point out one thing that I did something different than the first book. The first book it was discussion, exercise, reflection, discussion, exercise, reflection. And this one I, I split into two parts. So all the exercises are in the second part, and all the discussion, or not all the discussion, but right. a big part of the discussion is at the first part. 
So it's I want because I really wanted to draw out the emotional side that of the discussion because this frustration a lot of people feel is supported by a lot of the entrepreneurship industry that makes a big spectacle of you know Shark Tank, fantastic TV. I think it's dramatic. I, I mean, I haven't seen it that many times, but I think it's really exciting. But as a way of learning to become an entrepreneur or to start projects, not so effective. I think it's discouraging for many people. And that's just one example of how we teach. We, we, we think that we're teaching and promoting taking initiative, but we're often creating more barriers. And so I wanted to draw that out, that if you feel that frustration, there's a reason for it. And people acting in their interests, not necessarily against yours, but in it's, I wanted to draw that out. And that frustration, I think, is, I really wanted to get people over that. And to, that's, so that, that's a lot of the first part. And then to, to show there is a way, it can work, and you make it, and here's how to do it. So, you know, there's a, there's a series of exercises that fit together, which is to share your idea with other people. And this is, comes after you develop a few ideas. And if you ask people for judgment, they will judge you. And even if you don't, the default for many people is to judge. So if I say, here's an idea, what do you think of it? They're going to say, I think it's good, I think it's bad, or maybe your mom will say, go for it. Or a teacher might say, well, that'll give you a good grade or bad grade or something like that. That's not that effective. That leads to something like what I call battleship. Like A7, miss. B4, hit. And you're just hoping for the best. Yeah. The, what I do in the core of all these exercises is to describe what you're working on and then to ask them for advice. And even if you're just, this is a major shift that for people who do the exercises in like Feed Forward from Marshall Goldsmith, it's in Leadership Step by Step. There's a big shift in life to go from asking for judgment to asking for advice. And when you ask for advice, Something happens, a couple things happen. One is you often get advice. Now, some of it may be useful, some of it may not be useful. You don't have to follow it if you don't think it's useful. If it is, if it is useful, great, you got advice that you can use. More importantly, it creates a relationship with that person feels like, well, when I give advice to people, I often feel, now that I'm giving this advice, you're more likely to succeed, and now I have a vested interest in your success yeah. because your success will feel like it's my success. Yeah. And this series of exercises contributes to people feeling like they want, they have a vested interest in your success. And so the core of all these exercises is share your idea, or at the beginning, it's you have a few ideas. So share a few ideas or one idea and say, I wonder if you could give me a couple pieces of advice to improve this idea. Now, what improvement means to them may be different than what it means to you, so you may get something useful or not. Now, a lot of times they will often answer, I think it's great. Now, you have to pick up. That's judgment. And so oftentimes you have to develop the skill of, I, I appreciate that you think it's great, you think it's bad, but I'm looking for advice, and I wonder if you could give me that advice. And if you politely persist, sometimes they'll hold back, but most of the time they'll give you advice. Yeah. And, and they want you to succeed. People like to talk about themselves, and, and people like to people feel important when they're sharing advice, right? There's the old entrepreneurial adage, you know, when you're pitching for money, it's uh, ask for money and you get advice. Ask for advice and you get money. And I yeah. never thought of it in the way that you just said it. Whenever somebody gives you advice, they, f they have a vested interest in your success and they probably internally feel like this, this person is going to actually be successful because they're taking my advice because I'm the smartest person in the world. So they're more likely to support you in other ways. And one of the big outcomes of this is not just the idea and not just that you develop the, the business model and so forth. You develop a set of relationships. You develop a supportive community of people vested in your success. And that I put to you is more valuable than yeah. whatever your idea is. Yeah. One of the principles of the book is the idea of a lifetime comes once a month. Yeah. I love that. The idea of a lifetime comes once years. a month. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Implementing may take years. So you can't implement every idea that comes your way, but that awareness that if this idea falls apart, the next one is a month away, actually faster. Once you develop these skills, because you can, you know, when you have these skills, the problem isn't, have an idea it's how i filter out all these other ideas to make to go for one that i really want but it's really the relationships the community that you form 
of supportive, non-judgmental people who want you to succeed. When you know how to do that, then you take that arc of what the book leads you through, which is you start with friends and family, and maybe at that stage it's just a couple sentences or the vague hope of something that might work out. Then you start talking to people who are maybe closer to the field than you, and then from there you move to people who are really in the field. Along the way, you also talk to people who are who feel the problem, you know, the, your potential customers, and you get from them different type of advice. It's more a description of how they feel, what's the emotion that they feel, is it frustration, anger, is it outrage? But eventually you work up to valuable people, decision makers, funding sources, other CEOs, and they don't know when you followed this, these steps that your idea may not have existed more than a month ago. All they know is you're coming in and you're speaking knowledgeably about it and you're dropping, well, not name dropping gratuitously, but you're talking about people who that you did these exercises with earlier in the field and now they see you've answered all these questions before, so when they ask you questions, you know the answers. When you mention names, it's people that they know or at least know of. Along the way, I also have you do some really hard stuff. Hard, not in the sense of difficult, but hard, hard math, like you have to do the financials. And when you do the financials, it gives you the answers to the really low-level details so that they, they, oh, this person is legit. This person is a problem solver who is aware of and working on problems in my field, in my life. So you come in, you have answers, you have a passion for something that matters to them, you know people that they know, you are a peer. You haven't spent, most, most people have not spent a penny on any of the stuff that they've done so far. They've been working on it in school, they might have taken 10 weeks to get there, but when you do it on your own, sometimes some of these early steps you can do in a couple of days. So you might be a month into it. And you're talking to peers in the field, knowledgeably, and along the way you develop a passion for what you do. You've talked to people who, oftentimes you talk to people who are the potential customers, the people who feel the problem. When you do the exercise and you're asking for advice, you're asking them to describe the problem, and you're listening for the emotion that they share, not just a lot of times at the beginning, they're not so open, but you have to listen. When someone says to you, when is that going to be ready? Can I buy it? Can I buy your service? Can I buy your product? Can I join your thing? That gives you this, this it, it becomes real yeah. in a sense that you're like, you know, I, I distinguish there's two kinds of inspiration I, that I find. One is the inspiration that you feel on December 30th when you say, I'm going to go to the gym every, every week for the next year. It's, a, it's an inspiration to help yourself. And I, I'm a big fan of it. Often for many people, by February, that inspiration has, went, has gone away. And then there's an inspiration to help someone solve a problem that a lot of people feel and they can't wait to get it from you. And that inspiration, that inspiration is, it can last a lifetime. Yeah, it's durable. Absolutely. So Josh, you talk about this this system, right? This philosophy, the, the, these in these action items, these exercises for success, and it's easy for you to sit here and tell us about uh, you know how we could be successful in all these areas because you've been successful in physics and entrepreneurship and teaching and writing and now podcasting. Uh, you've never failed, right? Um, so so maybe pull back the curtain and 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 reveal how 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 all this success and you know we talked about just. You know, uh, we skimmed it in the bio. There, there's so much more there that, that Josh has accomplished. It's amazing. Um, can, Josh, can you tell us about a time where you failed? And tell us, uh, make this a little bit more real for us. How long of a call would you like? <laughs> I mean, the first thing you thought about when you mentioned physics as the first thing, and I'm like, PhD sounds nice. Building a satellite, helping build a satellite sounds nice. I was a nerd. I was picked on. When I started college, I did everything I could to distance myself from those classes, even though I love them, because I was so made fun of. And I so, you know, I, I, I'm still a nerd. I'm still a geek. I, I developed some skills to act not like that if I want to. But at the beginning, I couldn't. And the more that I wouldn't take those classes, the more people were like, you're obviously a geek. You're obviously a nerd. I was like, I'm trying everything I could not to. <laughs> I, would, I would try to get invited to social things, and I never would be. I'm like, that's success? To me, yeah, that's part and parcel with that practice. And then all the, the leadership stuff emerged because now, fast forward from that was like the 80s and to the 90s when I've left academia, I've started my company. And 
when things are going up, things are great. I, you know, it's like everyone sees big money down the road and everyone loves the projects that we're working on. Then 9-11 hits. My business involved subways and, and building stuff in subway tunnels. And, like, you couldn't bring a screwdriver in a subway tunnel anymore. And because, you know, obviously it's not post-9-11 security measures. And we weren't a, a tech bubble. We weren't a, um, an internet thing, but the, the money dried up for any investment and the money dried up for advertising, which is where revenue was going to come from. And now the, the pause was like, what do I want to talk about? I mean, what, what were the different things that brought tears streaming down my face at uh, laying people off that were great people that deserved to keep working, but we couldn't? Of the time when people didn't come into the office because the other co-founder and I were squabbling and we couldn't get our, our, our stuff together and I was the only I was the only one in the office and no one told us that they were it's kind of they want to strike and I was utterly unable to, like my whole life was to nothing at this point and to cap it all off when the in order to keep the company alive the only hope we had was to get investment from existing investors because they were on the hook. So they had an interest in the company succeeding. They said, well, we'll put a little bit of money in, but we're going to put someone else in instead of Josh. And that was really brutal because I, I felt so confident. I founded the co founded the company. I came up with the invention, wrote the patent, wrote the business plan. And they're like, nope, don't need you. And so much of my identity and self-worth was tied up in that so much they've given up to get there and the word that i'm speaking now does not anywhere close resemble to the depth the profundity of, of the loss but what really kept it off was that after we let, let go of these people now including myself they needed current team needed a much smaller office i was still coming in because I, I was like um I don't really call it like a like a, a jilted lover or not. It's like someone who was I I, what, I hadn't yet accepted that yeah, I was out. I go. And so I was coming to the office like I can help with this, I can help with that. It was like pathetic. I mean, really, like if looking back now, well, I have great compassion for me at the time. But what I'm getting at is that when they went to the new office, they simply didn't give me a key. And so that was the that was like the final out of. Like, that's what did it. It was like, oh, well, we'll just knock in the key, and now I just can't get into the new office. And that was the end of me and my relationship. Well, I was, I was technically on the board at this point, but uh, I wasn't involved in the company that I that was me in, in my mind at the time. And, and for the and, listener, I want to share, like, this is, this is, you know, this is a story that he shares, but this is like, a, and, you know, if that happened to you, right, the listeners, how would you respond? Would you curl up and settle and go back to what you're comfortable with and, and never try again? Or, or do you try again? Or do you learn from that? Do you push forward? Do you, you know, build new things and start new things and get new degrees and, 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 and grow and learn and then teach and share and write? That's what, that's what Josh did. And, and so I want you to think as the listener, like, what, what is that failure that you have experienced? And it may be big and profound, like Josh just shared. It may be smaller and, and like nobody else really knew about it because you kind of tried something on the side, but it didn't really get wings. Like, what is it for you that is that has stung you? And is that holding you back? And I, and I challenge you at this moment right now, while you're listening to this, maybe hit the pause button and think, how did that actually make me better? How, how was that a blessing? In what way? Can I actually find the silver lining there? What is the blessing? What is the lesson? Why am I smarter and more capable because of that? I challenge you to think of that right now. And, and Josh, so I appreciate you sharing that because it gives us a little bit of background into you, um, but also uh, shows that, that there's, there's life after failure and there's success after failure. And so I want to ask you this. What habits do you have that you feel have set you apart that have helped you achieve success? Any any particular habits over the years that you feel have really uh, resulted in in success, sort of broadly in your life, that apply to maybe all the you know more than one area of your life? Any core habits? Well, as I 
lots of tears have been streamed down. I, I haven't really been crying, but like now that now I'm like super happy because you said Sid shot earlier, and so I can't help but like I have a lot of habits, or not a lot, but I have very specific habits that it's I've a, developed over the years. Let me jump in real quick. I want to jump. Sorry to interrupt, Josh. So, uh, in in, J- in Josh's email signature, it's great. Um, he has all of these sort of counters of his daily habits and. I'm just going to read off a few. I've got them all in front of me here, but I'm just going to read a handful of them off. But it's really cool. Um, Days picking up at least one piece of litter. 732 in counting. Uh, Daily burpees. I said 130,000. So it's 131,050 in counting. Uh, Days waking. Check this out. Waking and making the bed in under a minute. 874 in counting. Cold showers. This is the last one I'll read. And I'll turn it back over to you, Josh. Cold showers, 410 days in counting. So these are just, I love these habits. These create discipline and uh, I, I just love it. So anyway, these are in Josh's email signature. So it's pretty cool to see these. So go ahead, take it away from there, Josh. I'm glad that you mentioned they build discipline because a lot of people, a lot of people erroneously, at least from my life, think you have discipline, therefore you do these things. And it's the opposite direction. And I only I say that now things. because I've heard you say that. And, you're, and, and, and I learned that from you. And, and it's, it's the right way to think about it. And it, it's the truth. So thank you. Yeah. And that, also, that often came from, you know, I spent much, so many years growing up, like I'd see people go to the gym and I think, oh, I want to go to the gym, but I don't have big muscles, so I can't go. <laughs> ah, opposite effect. It's right. go to the gym and get muscles, not building muscles, get to the gym. And I do have to clarify, the cold showers I do once every fifth day. So what you okay. quoted was the number of cold showers, but it's not gotcha. days in a row. I, okay. Yeah, I would not be that one. I would not be able to do daily. <laughs> I, I finish every shower that I do every day. I finish with a blast of cold water. I just got to get it all over my body, front, back, everywhere, top to bottom. Uh, I do finish with a cold shower every day. Love that. Just a good burst for me. Uh, tip of the hat, because that would be beyond me. <laughs> <laughs> I got. It's like I turn on the cold shower and I. If I, if you think about it, you can't do it. You just have to. No, you can't think do about it, it right? Yeah. And I've developed all these things. Actually, I used to. The burpees began with doing ten a day, and as I, as I, as I developed the skills and muscles and, and cardio, I could do eleven and twelve, and eventually now I do twenty-seven, three sets of nine in the morning, three sets of nine in the evening, with slight variations. And sometimes I would stand there for five or ten minutes before I started, and I'd, I'd be like, "Okay, go." And it's still standing there. And I'd be like, okay, okay, now go. And over the years, you work on different things. First, it's the muscles and the cardio because it really gets your heart pumping. And then there's a lot of self-awareness and there's a lot of inner monologue that you pay attention to and technique and form. Because when you do the same thing every day, it's not boring. It's only, I guess with the wrong, with a different perspective, it might be boring. But for me, it's a journey that it's never the same twice. And what I've been working on lately is to, is to, is my enthusiasm, is to enjoy it. And so I, it's been a long time since I've stood for more than a couple seconds before starting. And I really like that. It's just something different that I can get. So the purpose, I'll use that as a big one because as I mentioned, I began with 10 a day. I've built and built and built. And so now it's a 15 minute calisthenic routine. That if I'm traveling, I can do it just body weight. And here I have some kettlebells and uh, a pad so I can do some curls and things like that. Um, because burpees don't, there's no pull and it doesn't do your abs. But so I do a few other things I've added to it. For the, for the Josh and, Bodick uh, rookie, can you tell, tell the listeners what a SIDCHA is? So SIDCHA stands for, it's S I D C H A, self imposed. Daily, challenging, healthy activity. And that came from picking up that I developed a few habits. This is now years and years ago, probably 2012, when I wasn't that long into the burpees. And I noticed, it was when I started doing my cold showers. And I noticed that habits really make a difference. And there's some habits that are like reading the paper every day or brushing your teeth every day. I don't think make you into a great person. I, I want to define what great is. Everyone, you know, for yourself, it, it helps you reach your potential. Yeah. And some make a difference and some don't. So what's the difference? Like smoking cigarettes every day, that's not really going to, I don't think that's going to lead to greatness. 
many people. <laughs> you Depends on what you're aiming mind. for, but I guess I yeah, like I would have to agree with that. <laughs> so, what makes a habit something that makes you into a Hemingway, as opposed to a uh, Hemingway Jackalock? Does that make him great? I don't know. But he wrote, well, I don't know. I haven't said Hemingway, but like Mandela. Yeah. You know, he was in prison for 27 years, and my understanding is that he, you know, he was a boxer before that, and he did his calisthenics every day. To the point where, on the day he was released, big, global, momentous day, first thing he did in the morning was his daily exercises. Wow. Wow. If Mandela can do it, I can do it. Yeah. And, and if it helps, I, I believe that that's part, I don't think that's something that held him back. I think that's something that helped make him who he was. And so, self-imposed. So, I go to, when you, if you go to work every day, and you're going to lose your apartment otherwise, that's not really self-imposed. So if you, but if it's something you choose to do, that element of choice to act on what you choose to do, that develops something inside you. So self-imposed daily. And most of mine are daily. So there's a couple things about daily. One is that it's regular. The big thing about daily is that if, if you can't say no, then it takes away, it makes it so much easier. It's so much harder. Like, yeah, between when you commit, when deciding you're whether or not yeah. to do burpees or actually doing the burpees, the deciding is actually yeah, it burns your calories, but it's the harder part. Yeah, that's a great point. And another big thing about it is that every now and then I'll run a marathon, and those burpees are the hard ones to run to do. Like the the last marathon I did, I was doing fifty burpees a day at the time, and I didn't do the burpees before the marathon, so I had to do two sets after. So I did fifty burpees after running a marathon. That's really hard. But for the rest of my life, every anytime I come home late, I got a lot of, you know, maybe I'm drunk or something like that. I'm like, oh, these burpees are going to be hard. I was like, well, is it as hard as that time I did that marathon after the marathon? Yeah. No. Well, I did it then, so I can do it now. Good point. And that's a big, I can't describe how important that is. Yeah. So that's and then challenging. You know, if it's reading the paper every day, that doesn't seem like very challenging. And then healthy, active. So active. Meditation is, is like, that I think is very active. You can't see it, but it's mentally very active. But mostly you have to be moving around doing things. And I do often fitness ones, but I write in a blog every day. And that's more a, a expression, social one. Some people do, they'll draw a picture a day, or they'll practice their dance every day, or they'll practice violin every day. So there's aesthetic ones, there's personal growth ones, there's business ones, like writing a business idea every day, or making a cold call every day, or three cold calls every day. Once you do it, Every day, and you don't stop. The growth that comes out of that is—it's indescribable. And I do it when I teach leadership at NYU. I now in my leadership class, I say, "Okay, this isn't formally part of the class, but everyone pick a sit shot." And I, you know, I talk to them, I walk them through what I talk about here. And many of them, it's like that was the best part of class, and they didn't spend any money on it. They just—it's just something they do. Yeah, Josh. So oh, many- I, I want to. Go ahead. There's something, there's something I recently discovered about. This is a, a kind of several-month-old discovery. I want to share it, if you don't mind my adding and taking Please. a little extra time. That people would often ask me, I, I want to do push-ups, I want to do burpees, I want to do something physical. What's the number, how many should I start with? I used to say, all right, when you get home, do a few burpees, do like a reasonable number, don't kill yourself, and remove, take off two. So if you did five, Go to three and do three a day. And after a while, three will be easy and you can do it for four. Then you go to five and so forth. But now I realize that so many people would tell me, oh, this is just what I'm looking for. This is exactly, this is perfect. I want to do this. I can see the benefit for this. Looking at the benefit, the benefit comes. When you think of the benefit, you think, oh, if I do more, I'll get more benefit. But that's not what stops people, is the lack of seeing the benefit. What stops people is the day they come home drunk or the time that they're sick. So here's what I say now. Think of the worst day you've ever had. Think of the worst day you could have. It's raining. You just got fired. Your girlfriend left you. Your boyfriend left you. You're running out of money. You're, you're hungry. You got to wake up early the next morning. Layer all that stuff on. How many can you do that day? Yeah. That's the number to do. Yeah. And because that's the way that I think of it is that's when you discover yourself. You peel away everything else. And the number you can do there, fine can do more. But what's the least you can do on that day? 
And that's, that's what people, I think, to be successful, that's what you think of on December 31st when you think of what my New Year's resolution is going to be. What am I going to do on a day when I feel like horrible and I just want to curl up, you know, because both that's, that's the number that you can do. And if you go higher than that, you're not going to do it that day. And then if you miss one day, you miss two. If you miss two, it's all over. But if you do it that day, then you, it would be, I've had days when I felt like horrible, but I know that I can do the burpees. I do the burpees and I don't feel horrible. It, if I do burpees twice a day, on average, I've never felt horrible for longer than 12 hours since I started this. And I felt horrible in my life before that. It just hasn't had a chance to snowball because this keeps bringing me back up again. Yeah. Yeah, so we have implemented the Sid Cha in uh, in our Facebook group uh, pretty religiously with all my uh, all the Pathfinders in there. So just another lesson from from you, Josh. So thank you so much for making time to come on the show again. Where can the listener find your book? So everything's at joshuaspodak.com. And so if you click in the upper right corner book or podcast, you can find the book in the podcast. Of course, you can just go to Amazon and search for Spodak and it'll be there. And it's called Initiative. Excellent. And for the listener, just uh, you can you can grab those you can go to those links there, or uh, as always, I'll have those links in the action plan. Just go to jimhershawjr.com slash action. Josh, love it once again. Thank you so much for making time to come on the show. Jim, thank you very much, and thank you for bringing me to the depths and then back out again. It was, it was, I hope that the listeners shared the journey that you brought me through. Yes, yeah, it's it's, it's a good journey, and uh, the whole purpose of this podcast is to to let people know that, that failure is that is a necessary step on that path to success. And you, you shared it and uh, thank you again. And for the listener until next time, take the time to get clear on your goals and embrace failure as a stepping stone on your path to success.